0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, look around. These are the people who did not have 4th of July plans this weekend. So congratulations on not having that exciting of a social life. And we are certainly glad each and every one of you are here. We're going to continue our walk through the book of Acts, which, by the way, once we deep dive into it, is going to have significant applications to how we as individuals, but also corporately as a church, engage our culture and who we align with and who we do not. Now there's going to be some sensitive topics and groups that will come up in this, and depending on where you are on the political spectrum, some of us are going to cringe in either direction. What I'm asking you to do first here is just relax. I'm asking you to be intellectually, have intellectual uh, integrity and spiritual discernment and and tenderness as we walk through this. Because this passage is is very applicable to our culture today, as God's Word is. And we're going to pick up in verse uh, 16. Uh, Lydia has been baptized, a, a woman who is a Gentile from from uh, Asia, who was a seller of purple, and, and Paul went out to the river where he expected there would be a place of prayer. Hopefully, if you were here last week, the context will begin to bubble up. She accepts Christ as a personal Savior and gets baptized in a river deep enough for her to be immersed in. And by the way, how many here were, enjoyed um, Pam's testimony Sunday night for her baptism? What a beautiful testimony that was. And now... Paul is going to move on and he's going to find a slave girl, and that's where we pick up in verse 16. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, the Mishnah, hopefully that's bubbling up in your understanding as we've walked through this, a slave girl, having the spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, remember Luke is with them. These are the we passages, if you will. Luke is with them, as you see that plural pronoun. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, and Paul got greatly annoyed. How many here just find comfort in that Paul got annoyed at someone? Anyone at all? I do. I'm like, see. I am like the Apostle Paul. And then I read further into Acts, and I go, I hope I'm not like Apostle Paul. But we'll get through this. He was greatly annoyed. You ever notice we tend to relate to the people who do good things in the Bible and then not with those? He became greatly annoyed. You're probably greatly annoyed right now. And turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And immediately that moment... The Spirit left her. And when her master saw that their hope for profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the authorities. And when they brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful to us except for us to accept or observe as being Romans because they are in Philippi, Macedonia, a Roman providence, and this is not Israel, and the customs are very different. So with that being said, a passage roughly 2,000 years ago is going to have significant applications to us in our culture today. Let's ask God's blessing.
1: Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for your word. Father, our prayer is this morning that we would study to show ourselves approved. Father, we confess that our culture should not determine how we live our faith, but our faith should determine how we live inside this culture. We cannot separate who we are from You and Your Word. Father, may we be people of integrity. Integer, one. One in public, one in private. And may our integrity come because we love You and desire to be like You. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Father, bless these people. Thank You for Your goodness. I confess my sins. Thank You for Your forgiveness. And Father, I pray these things in your Son's precious name. And if you're awake this morning, say amen. Amen. All right, here we go.
0: What in the world is wrong with that? That is a phrase I think all of us use many times. What's wrong with that? And frankly, it can be kind of a tricky question. Sometimes it's a fair question, other times it is one of the most subtle yet devastating questions you will ever face. In fact, I think the truth of the matter is we've all asked ourselves that question and over time find ourselves in trouble because the question in and of itself is not the danger as much as the object by which we direct the question. For example, if the subject is a bowl of ice cream, you may say, what in the world is wrong with that? And to be fair, you might get away with that extra bowl of ice cream. But that all depends, doesn't it? Are you a diabetic? Are you on a diet? Does your wife tell you under no circumstances are you to have a bowl of ice cream? That is for our guests coming. And then you're reminded that the head of the wife is the husband, right? No, I'm just teasing. And the husband sleeps on the couch. Moving forward... We'll ask ourselves, what's wrong with that? But if the subject is early signs of drug and alcohol abuse, the question, what's wrong with that, could absolutely destroy your world. My friends, be very careful to live your life through the rubric of what's wrong with that. I think the Word of God's advice to us is we ought to be asking a better question, and that question is this, is this the best decision for our lives. Truth of the matter is, more believers have a crisis of faith and have their lives and testimonies for Christ destroyed, not because of instantaneous embracement of overt sin, but by a series of bad answers to the subtle question what is wrong with that? This is the question that we can't help but see in this text. But Luke puts it here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as an aid to help us navigate what is the best answer in a sea of deceptive good options. So with that being said, let's dive into this passage here. Someone is texting me at 11 in the morning as I speak, and they will be under church discipline. No, I'm just teasing. I had to silence my phone there. Just, a, just a, an example of you too should silence your phones at this time. We'll be looking at here in this text that presents what appears to be a good thing. Grab that. What appears to be a good thing. Grab that. What appears to be a good thing on the surface is not. Let's take a look at this passage here. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you, I'm sure if you're old enough, you know this to be true. You know this to be true. Sometimes life is a sea of contrast pushing back and forth. Paul just got done sharing the gospel and baptizing Lydia. We studied that last week. Today he will meet a slave girl. And I want you to notice the stark contrast between them. Lydia is free. The the girl is a slave. Lydia is in control of her life. The girl has no freedom. Lydia earns money and keeps it. The slave girl earns money and keeps none. Lydia is a worshiper of God. And this girl is in bondage to Satan. You know, these types of extremes are never-ending in life. And by the way, it is in this chaos of extremes that Satan will use one of the most devastating attacks he will ever unleash on us personally and as a church as a whole. And I hope that got your attention Because one of the most devastating attacks Satan will ever induce into your life and mine will come in the soft whisper, in the form of a soft whisper in our ear. What could be wrong with that? Truth be told, it is in essence the very same whisper he whispered into the ear of Eve when she was in the garden being tempted to disobey God. Now, before we dive into the attack, we have to get the context, and we are going to be prying this apart here, and it's, for, for a nerd, is, is really exciting, because there's a lot to learn here. The first thing, before we can apply it to some subtle things in our culture today, the first thing we need to know here is, is, is looking at this phrase, having the spirit of Divination. This is very important to our application. The word spirit here in the Greek is the word uh, pythona, which is where we get the English word python. Now, python spirit in, in Greek mythology was tied to the temple of Apollos. This tells us that with this here, all right, along with the location of Philippi and the time period, uh, that she is attached to the temple of Apollo, which, by the way, is near Philippi. According to ancient mythology, Apollo killed the spirit python or the demigod python and over time, anyone who claimed the spirit of Python was controlled by Apollo himself. Now grab this detail. Now you may say, how in the world is this going to apply to my life today? Stay with me here because this deep dive is going, is going to fit into the, 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 the fine cracks of, of, of our culture that is destroying our faith. Apollo, by the way, is considered the god of prophecy. Now that's important because what is the slave girl doing? She is making a profit by telling the future through fortune telling. You can see the culture beginning to bleed out of this text here. She is fortune telling. So if I were to summarize this, what we have here is a demon-possessed girl whose very description, Python, caused people to think as her as a medium between man and Apollo, which, by the way, could foretell the future. That is the scenario that we are looking at. Now let us not miss that there is another master at work here. And that master is, no man can serve two masters, for either he will love one and hate the other. What is the other master in that passage? Anyone at all? Money. You'll notice there is a love of money going on here as well. Her owner saw this demon possession as an opportunity to monetize her. In fact, you see it here, bringing her masters much profit. Let me say this another way. They saw a way to make money off the slave girl. Here it is, my friends. Capitalism is as old as the hills. Now, why tell us all this nerdy background information? Because I have to speak for at least 45 minutes, all right? No, I'm not. I'm not. And by the way, I'm hoping to let y'all a little early today. Likely not going to happen. Now, why tell you this background information come with me here because this is going to affect your life the moment you leave here today what you associate with what you embrace it helps us understand how the culture around her would would have seen everything you know for us today if we just look at this and read this today we look at this and say she is a demon possessed slave girl who made her owner's money that is evil that is bad We should have nothing to do with trying to make money off little slave girls. And all of God's people said what? That's really not what this is about. And so while it is true that this is evil and this is bad and this is immoral, it is much more subtle than this. You see, in this ancient culture, the people around her would not have seen this as a necessarily bad thing in her life. In fact, Dr. Klutz, how many here think that is an amazing name, is it not? Dr. Klutz, you are such a klutz. Yeah, what, what about it, you know? Dr. Klutz says this. Let's hit a button. I think it's the right button. There it is. It says this, and I love this. Here it is. Most of the girls' contemporaries would have considered this python a beneficial act in her life, or at worst, neutral value in her life. After all, she has something others don't have. She is gifted. She is sought out. She is special. She makes a great deal of money. She can't keep it, but she makes a great deal of money. She is valued. Guess it, she would have been well treated by her masters. She is seen as a mouthpiece of Apollo, the very God they worship. Now, here's a question. Does our culture today ever see evil as culturally beneficial if not noble? Let me say that again because this is a, 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 a turn that's going to bring us to the subtle destruction that Satan is having on our lives and in our church in these culture time of culture. Does our culture ever proclaim things that are evil As culturally beneficial and noble. Class, what is the answer? Of course they do. Is the church susceptible to joining that? Here's my point. This is not an obvious evil danger to those who live in this culture and time. They do not see it as evil or dangerous in this time. Which, by the way, makes it even more subtle when we read this. This, this. this blessed slave girl, if you will, in this culture, kept crying out, these men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. How many here have ever heard any publicity is what? It's good publicity. Why not let this girl speak the truth? After all, She is a spokesperson of Apollo through the Python spirit. Isn't she just attracting attention to something that is absolutely true? And it is here that we dive deep into what she is saying, all right, and understanding what it means. Because while we could just grab the surface application and say this, do do we really think this is what Luke is trying to tell us? Here it is. We read it to surface level. Associating with demons is bad. Let's go home. How many here feel like your life has now been given meaning? All right? We didn't know that before, did we? Of course we did. This kind of surface approach does really not provide any insight in the potent application that Luke wants us to get here. So let's get to the point. Now, this will blow your mind. I, if you ever have your mind blown in church, this will blow it. He says this. She says this. These men are bondservants of the Most High God. Now what's wrong with that? What could possibly be wrong with that? If we sang a song like that in church and Luke got up here with his guitar and other instruments, I'm so not musical, all right? And, and he got up here and said, we are going to sing a song called The Most High God. And we sang that here in the church. We would all say what? What would we say? Amen! What a great song. May I tell you that we would not if we lived in a pagan polytheistic culture of Philippi back then, we would not engage that song. Again, we must understand the context and the culture. This is big. This is big. Grab this. We are outside of Israel. Remember Paul's vision of a man, he finds a woman at the riverside, 156 miles outside. He he went in 2 days. This is, this is outside of Israel in a Macedonian pagan culture that is not monotheistic. This is not Israel. Philippi in Rome is polytheistic, which is a fancy word. They believed in many, many gods. Poly meaning many theistic gods. They are polytheistic. And this, by the way, in a pagan polytheistic culture... This phrase, the most high God, is a common phrase that pagan polytheistic people used in this culture to describe the hierarchy of many gods. In fact, did you know that the phrase, the most high God, is never used in the New Testament? It is never used in the New Testament save one time because of its association with pagan polytheistic culture. They would avoid this full phrase here. It's used once in Hebrews, chapter seven verse one, is used in the full phrase, "The Most High God." And even then, even then, this very, very touchy phrase is used once in Hebrews, which is written to, by the way, monotheistic Jewish Christians that are, that are, that are, 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 are tempted to leave their faith in Jesus Christ. So there you could use the phrase and it would mean something different. Here, it's describing a hierarchy of many gods. And we may say, you want to know what? let Let me make sure I get here. To us today, we hear this in our culture and faith and we hear Jesus is the one true God. That's what we hear. They heard then in that culture, Jesus is a most high God among many gods. Let us remember that this girl herself represents at least two gods inside of her, the Apollo and the spirit of Python, all right? Which makes her testimony, by the way, potentially misleading. And we may say, you know what, that may be true, that may be true, but look at what she is saying She's pointing out that they are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. At least, I mean, look at this right here in the green. It's not like she's given a bad message. If I got up here and said, we proclaim the way of salvation, what would we say? Talk to me, church. Amen. What's wrong with this? At least she's drawing... While it may not be optimum, at least she is drawing attention to Jesus as a high God who provides the way of salvation. And here comes the subtle question again. Are you ready for this? What is wrong with that? Well, what kind of culture are we in? This is a question. What kind of culture are we in? Polytheistic. What are we in? I I tried to disguise it. Polytheistic, meaning gods. Didn't really disguise it there, did I? Again, we must see it then before we can understand it today this phrase proclaiming to you the way of salvation now here we are we're about to do a deep dive okay so intellectually all right we're going to have to take a a deep breath and we're going to go deep down into this text but when we come back up we are going to have something that will fit into our lives the words in the greek here do not have an article they do not have an article it simply says this to proclaim to you way of salvation. In a polytheistic culture the High hierarchy God is proclaiming to you way of salvation. Now, depending on your translation, the one we have today inserts the way the. Now, other translations insert the word a way of salvation. And some of those translations are listed here. And by the way, there's at least two times more than this who translate it with the word a way of salvation, not the way of salvation. And then there are other translations that don't put any article at all. So with that being said, when added to the context here that they are in a polytheistic culture and you add it to the phrase, the most high God, and that it is rarely used in the Bible, especially in a pagan polytheistic context, what we have here is this, Jesus is the highest God among many that provides to us a way of salvation among others, You see, we can't interpret this through our Americanized, Christian, monotheistic lenses and eyes of today. We cannot approach it this way. Now hear me, I'm not saying that those kind of eyes are bad. I'm not saying those kind of eyes are bad. They're just not the right lens to find accurate application. It is because of this ancient viewpoint in context that we see why Paul's nervousness begins to bubble up and the reaction that he gives. Paul was greatly annoyed. Now, the word greatly annoyed here means he became greatly disturbed and he became greatly burdened with what was going on. Now, what she is saying is technically true. But who and how is deceiving? And you can understand why he is becoming increasingly, as you look at this, this square here, Jesus, Jesus is the highest God among many that provides to us a way of salvation among others. And as days go by, he becomes more and more burdened, more and more disturbed with what, what is going on. And you can understand that it's increasing here. And you'll also note that, notice that it took him a few days to get there. It took him a few days to get to this point, likely because it is slowly but clearly becoming evident that her association with him is hurting the clarity of the gospel. Do you smell that? It's right there that the first shoot of of contemporary application has just broke the surface. Now we might not know exactly what kind of plant it is yet, but hang in there. It's going to start becoming clear. So finally, he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. I want to make just a very simple but clear point here. The ability to cast out demons is a gift that was given to the original 12 apostles. Mark chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 12 it was given to them to authenticate their message. Did you know throughout the entire New Testament, no believer today is given the authority to command demons to obey? In fact, the only, the only instruction we are given as, as believers to fight our enemy is to put on the full armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We all know that passage where, in the New Testament where the demons said, Paul, I know jesus i know but you who are you and they beat those men to an inch of their lives now we have gone through a lot there is a lot on this page hopefully you have all this written down in the margins of your bible i ran out of colors this week you'll notice we have we have duplicate colors there which is a cardinal sin in my world all right You should see the highlighters. We have, it's Trinity Baptist Church. We have stock in the highlighting company, all right? I'm constantly asking for more highlighters. Now, we've gone through a lot. So let's get to the application that is beginning to break the surface here. Now that we understand the situation then. And it is here that we will now answer the question, what is wrong with that? What's wrong with this? And why is it so dangerous? After all, she is saying, what she is saying in many ways is true. She is attracting attention to their message. Here it is. Why not in the spirit of inclusivity? Why not in the spirit of tolerance? Why not just use this unsought organic alliance to their advantage? What could possibly be wrong with using this? After all, it could signal some sort of cultural acceptance within the area of Philippi. We're about to see that they're going to be beat and put in jail because they are violating the customs and culture of Philippi. Why not just ride the coattails of this and use it to their advantage? My friends, if left alone, it would have been one of the most devastating attacks that Satan ever launched on the church then. And hear this, unfortunately, it is one one that causes great destruction in the undiscerning church today. And here it is. One of the most devastating, let's put it up there, one of the most devastating attacks by our enemy is the distortion of the gospel through artful alignment with it. I'm going to say that one more time. Because after this, it's all application. One of the most devastating attacks by our enemy is the distortion of the gospel through artful alignment with it. You see, while the message here may be technically true, the message on this young girl's lips could cause the gospel to be lost. They could have thought that Paul and Silas were also possessed by the spirit of Python. They could have assumed that she was part of their group. By allowing or forming even a perceived alliance with this young lady and all that she represented, Apollos and Python and slavery and all of this stuff, All right, that, that this perceived alliance with her and what she represented could distort the message and damage their purpose. So it is with these details and through this deep dive... That, that now that we understand these things, now that we then, 2,000 years ago, we look at the text and we understand the, the context of all that we read, there is no article, there is Python, there is Apollos, there is that, that Greek mythology culture and, and all that is going on. Now that we understand that culture, the yellow one, we can then break the words down and interpret it. And then when we've done all of this, because we know what it means, then we know how to apply it now. And how we apply it is so subtle but so important. Let me contemporize this. And this is where some of us will get uncomfortable. So I just want you to relax because you're going to hear some subjects that are going to immediately, you're going to stop listening. Immediately, you're going to want to defend or attack. Who knows, right? But I'm asking you, have fertile hearts to hear what I'm saying and allow, here it is, here it is, allow your, your faith to determine how you live in this culture, not your culture, determine how you live your faith. Amen? So this may make some of us uncomfortable in either direction. But we must see how it applies today. What if I told you there was a group? What if I told you there was a group that wanted to join the efforts of Trinity Baptist Church? And they said that they were going to pay for millions and millions of dollars of television ads and advertisement. And they were going to proclaim in these advertisements that we're going to go all over Michigan. And we're going to saturate Grand Rapids. And the message was this, Trinity Baptists are believers in the Most High God that proclaim the way of salvation. I'm going to stop right there. What could be wrong with that? All this advertisement with, with, with a true statement. Now, what if I told you that group was the Proud Boys? Would we align with that? Would we join forces with that? Here's a question. Should we take their endorsement or partner with them? Our answer is no. Heaven's no. Because everything else attached to this group would distort, damage the very goal of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is to reach every tribe in every nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we associated with this group, we would associate with their hate, their worldview, their racism. And by the way, the church should have nothing to do with that. Amen? We are all created what? Before God. We are His... We are his handiwork, and the color of our skin or how we view life has nothing to do with our value. The truth of the matter is, this is a super easy one, is it not? This is a super easy one, so let's apply it with greater wisdom. What if I told you there was a movement that wanted to align with Trinity Baptist Church and the gospel of Jesus Christ and they too were willing to spend great deals of money and effort to promote a message of goodwill and justice for all. And that movement was today's diversity, inclusion, and equity movement. Right now, I can see you guys typing emails right now. I'm asking you to relax. I promise to walk the Word of God here, not an agenda. And that movement, all right, comes in the form of many groups and many names. What could possibly be wrong with that? I mean, look at these signs. How Could we ever disagree on the surface with many of these things? How could anyone be opposed with that? Here's the question What is wrong with this? Should we align with them? Now, let me be clear. And I need you to hear this. We believe that we must love God's justice. We believe in the equality of all people and races, in the value of every human being. In fact, contrary to our tolerant culture today, we believe in loving people not just when they agree with us, but we believe in loving people especially when they do not. Amen? We are to love our what? That is what makes us distinctly different. I have people in my life, they couldn't be further away from me in every category at once. And I love them. However, many of these groups that are under the banner of diversity, equity, and inclusion also promote values that are antithetical to the Bible and its gospel. They promote as good what God calls evil. Hear me. We are to love all people. We cannot, align, But we cannot align ourselves with groups that promote sexual immorality, self-actualization, the normalization of sin, the destruction of the biblical family, and celebrates what God calls evil. Hear me, my friends. The American church is falling for the subtle alignment with every tick of the clock. And in doing so, we are distorting the gospel of Jesus Christ and His holy character. You see, the issue here in this text is you know what, don't join teams with demon-possessed people. That is too simplistic of an application. Do we really think that what Luke is trying to communicate to us here is is don't hold hands with Satan? He might as well add don't eat yellow snow. (laughs) The real issue here is this. Will aligning with these people or this group distort, mislead, or damage the gospel of Jesus Christ and His teaching in my life and church? That is the rub. That is the answer. That is the answer to the question, what is wrong with that? My friends, the reason we don't run out and join every group with a great name or walk in every movement that signals virtue is not because we are rigid or apathetic people, but because we love Jesus and others so much that we cannot align with anything that will distort the clear path of salvation and the holy character of God. Because if we are not careful, the church would slowly turn into a spiritual YMCA and over time align ourselves with everything except the true gospel. Because Satan's most devastating attack on the gospel is to artfully align himself with it in such a way that the gospel within the church becomes everything but the way of salvation. There's a lot here. Now let me be clear. Because we are sometimes a slave to our political desires and appetites, not only out there, but in here as well. So let me be clear here. The issue that Paul is dealing here is not that the slave girl held a mid-tribulational view of the rapture. You following me? And she wanted to serve in a, a, a pre-tribulational view of the rapture in the church. That's not the issue here. How many here are going, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I oppose it, and I'm offended. The issue here is not that the slave girl strongly preferred hymns, and Paul loved the drums. The issue here is not that Paul had a little wine for his stomach slave girl would have none.
1: The issue here is the gospel and the holy
0: character of God. You know, Paul loved the slave girl. He loved on her. He didn't just rebuke and leave, which in jest, if I may, Seems to be the, the church's greatest spiritual gift in the in, in in our culture today. To rebuke and then leave. By the way, that's not love. May God change our hearts. Our goal as a church is not to rebuke something and then abandon it. This is not the gospel lived out. How many here are thankful God did not rebuke your sin and then leave? Amen? He rebuked it and then came. That's the gospel. We, we, only, we only love him because he first what? Loved us. I love how Pam said it. Jesus, I didn't find Jesus. Jesus found me. It's beautiful. Never should there be a day where a believer would refuse to extend their hand. The arrogance in that, it is antithetical to the word of God. Our goal as a church is not to rebuke and abandon. This is not the gospel, but to love, to speak truth, and to offer the gospel, and then love them sacrificially. Notice what Paul did here. He set her free from demon possession. He freed her from slavery and her owners. And while Scripture doesn't say... She was perhaps cared for by a small group of women who just found salvation and were baptized by the river just outside town under the open sky, deep enough to be immersed in. Paul loved this girl in a real and practical way. He set her free. And soon he will be whipped for it, he will be put in jail for it that's next week until then let us live life full of joy full of promise full of hope full of freedom and full of truth but don't hold hands with anything that would compromise the gospel in the truth of god's word you see the question is not what's wrong with that the better question is does this clearly represent christ Heavenly Father we come before you thankful for your word Father we pray that it would be the authority in our life as we prepare to remember the Lord's table the body and the blood Father, our prayer is that you would give us the wisdom and the discernment to never align ourselves with anything that would confuse this gospel.